0: We're on a a, a series at the moment called People Who Met Jesus. We're going to look at the story of the ten lepers. Uh, I'm told I've got some rugby players in. What you need to know, guys, is that this is what you're going to look like in a few years' time. (laughs) So you you think that you are pretty impressive right now, but this is what it ends up looking like, okay? Because actually, I played one year football, one year rugby. That was how we were made to do it at school. And actually, I was an hooker. Is that, is that the right word? Do you still use? Is that what use? Well, All that I used to know is that if you played hooker in the scrum, I had two hooker. Not what? Yes. No, not one of them. That's on street corners in Wrexham. <laughs> and I'd like to talk to you about your past later, Brian. <laughs> but all, all I can remember is that I had two guys. A guy called John Sawbridge and Malcolm Winfindale, and, and they were either side of me. And in my days of playing rugby, you had a little guy in the middle, and I was underdeveloped. Still am, before you comment. <laughs> and so they used to do that thing, and they used to lift me up so my legs didn't t- touch the floor, and we would go into it. It was before they did touch, moot z- m- go, bang, and all that sort of stuff that they did. Why do they do that? Just get on with it. and. and What used to happen is, for the guys who've never played rugby, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on in that scrum that is absolutely illegal. (laughs) And you have to defend all the unmentionable parts every time that you go into this thing, and it just goes on. And what you see on the telly is nothing like you actually experience things, but you do grow up pretty quick, and you learn to be um, uh, defensive and get them back. So, so it's uh, it all happens. I, I if, I, if you're a hockey player, I haven't got anything. That I, I, I only play, We used to play hockey at school, and in my day, it was do you remember those dates? the old ones? We used to go one, two, three. I mean, what was that? Just <laughs> kick the thing off. By by the time you've done all that, half time <laughs> was just. That was how you did it. Of course, when you're at school, you don't do that, do you? You go, one, two, three, whack, off we go. So that, was, that was, it just shows how old I am, really. Anyway, it's, we better read the Bible, aren't we? <laughs> okay, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And, uh, and he, as he entered a village, uh, he, met ten, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as he went, uh, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, "Were not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one uh, found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Well, before we move on to the church, well, uh, before we move on to the application, well done foreigners, uh, because you seem to be more receptive to Jesus than the rest of us. Uh, so if you're from another nation, uh, in, in the, well done, guys. Just want to uh, say that you're just more receptive. So we're going to go first and look at it on the, on, on the way. Jesus and his friends had been uh, traveling through the regions of Samaria and Galilee, and they'd been there for quite a while. In fact, Luke, in an earlier chapter, chapter 9, uh, tells us, when they first entered that village, a Samaritan village. And they'd been there uh, for quite a time, taken up by ministering to people, talking with them, praying for them, sharing about uh, why Jesus had come uh, with them. And uh, Luke himself tells us the purpose and the reason that Jesus went into Samaria, went into um, these villages uh, in, in Galilee. Luke, and Luke says this, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus also said this because he, he met with a Samaritan woman at a, at a well once, and uh, he said to her, The Father is seeking uh, such people to worship him. Now, we, we don't discover Christianity by being a religious person. I've tried that. I was brought up in a, a religious uh, family. All that does is send you away from uh, from God, and you don't discover it by um, by by just sort of a, well, I'll look into this and see how how I feel in regard to this. Let me just say this to every person that's sitting here and every person that has known the Lord uh, for a long time: Jesus seeks you out. That's the way that it works. I didn't intend to be doing this job, never thought that I ever would, thought that I wanted to be an engineer, love metal, love things that make things work, that sort of stuff. That was my thing. In fact, my, my own design was that as soon as I got to what would be a suitable age to cope with my mum and, my, and, my and dad and their religious background, that actually I would be off. I would be out. But I have to say, it is my testimony, it is my story, that actually Jesus sought me out. He got hold of me, and and that's what happened. And if you listen to people, they say something like, I came to church because uh, my friend invited me, or they came to church because of uh, some sort of event that went on. And it's wonderful. I'm really pleased that your friend uh, invited you. Well done, friends, for doing that. Don't forget to invite people to Friday and Sunday. Keep on inviting people but there is a greater and higher thing that is at work in the way that people come to find God. And it is just simply this, that Jesus seeks out people. He works by speaking to people. Just catches hold of them and draws them to himself. That's the way that it works. In verse 11, we're told that Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way there. This is not because they have been on some sort of sightseeing tour villages of samaria and then the villages of galilee Uh, what we'll do is we'll just spend some time in the countryside for a while have a little bit of gaze at the mountains that's nice look at the the lakes and all that sort of stuff visit there perhaps and then we can have a a little dip in the mediterranean that will be nice sea of galilee nice photographs here's peter standing by the sea of galilee smile you know that sort of thing this is thomas Thomas, perhaps you'd stand there, like the backdrop, just shall we get the mountain in, Thomas? You're looking good by the mountain, all that sort of stuff. And by the way, when we've done the countryside, it's a bit like all the guys from Japan on holiday. When we've done the countryside, we'll do the city. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that Japanese people always do London in a day. It's just extraordinary. And then they do Stratford. Stratford. They do Stratford in a day, and this is this is not what the disciples were up to. They weren't on to Jerusalem so that they could go. Okay, let's gather as a few people. Let's have a look at the uh, the city of David. Let's have a look at the Golden Gate. Now we'll all stand together at the Golden Gate. We'll have a group photograph at the Golden Gate. Who can we find? Here's a Roman soldier. He'll be good taking photographs. Let's all stand here. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like, hey, the pool of Siloam. We know that place. That's one of those places that they do healing bits. Let's all go there. We can perhaps light a candle or something like that when we get there. It wasn't like that. It wasn't an idea of let's all go to the temple. Hey, we've heard about the temple. You know, was this the first temple, the second temple, the third temple? Was it the one of the... Let's go and have a look at the temple. It wasn't like that at all. Luke chapter nine tells us it says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. It was something that he intended to do. He wasn't "Do the villages, then we'll do the city. He wasn't even preaching the villages, preaching the city. It wasn't anything like that at all. That Jerusalem was actually the reason. That Jesus came to earth. That Jerusalem was the point of what had all that had gone before. What was the point of healings? What was the point of feeding 5,000? What was the point of sharing about why he had come? What was the point of the disciples? The whole point was Jerusalem. And what was waiting for him at Jerusalem would be a wooden cross. And it would be a court, a kangaroo court at that. But what was waiting for him were those two things. What was waiting for him at Jerusalem would be initially adulation and then a crowd that would want to kill him. But despite all those things, it was the reason that he came. Jerusalem is the point. The cross was not his lowest point. The cross was his highest point. It is his greatest moment because it would be on the cross that he would deal with what the Bible calls sin. Our sin, my sin. He would deal with the very thing that has separated me from God. Sin is described like this. Anything, absolutely any act or any attitude which is owing to a lack of trust in God is sin. No matter how moral it is or how it may appear to man. Sin separates us from God. And this is why he came. He came to remove the barrier between you and I and God. There are many things that uh, Jesus did on the cross but here's just two. First one is that Christ absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. And he did it by actually suffering on a cross. Galatians, Paul writes to the book of Galatians in chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The wrath of God, the anger of God, that should have caused my eternal suffering should have been for me was placed upon him so that I could know God the anger that was should have come to me for the way that I have been in regard to my attitude towards God was placed upon him if you like God was angry with his own son rather than vent his anger on us I just think that is wonderful an extraordinary demonstration of love for a people extraordinary the second thing is that christ bore our sins and purchased for us because of that forgiveness 1 peter 2 verse 14 he bore him he bore sorry he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree or as the old testament says in isaiah 53 verse 5 he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed For our iniquities The sin That should have crushed us The sin That we should have felt The weight of Was placed upon him So that I don't have to feel The weight of it anymore So that I can know forgiveness That's wonderful That is love That somebody would do that So the anger of God Was placed upon him the consequences of sin were placed on him. He died in our place. And in turn, all that we do is that we admit, I've been a bit of an idiot. I haven't seen this. But now, I'm going to believe. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to receive his kindness. I'm going to receive his eternal life. That is one heck of a deal, guys. One heck of a deal. That's why the cross is not just the most important journey for Jesus. It's the most important journey for the world. And it still is the most important journey, guys, for the church. We mustn't live beyond the cross. We must be people of the cross that never moves away from the gratefulness that we have in the cross of Jesus. So we move to the outskirts of a village. In trying to get to Jerusalem, Jesus enters a village where he's met by 10 lepers. Leprosy is recorded uh, in the Bible. It can can describe um, quite a different variety of things, but generally uh, it would be a, a skin disorder, and in the the one that we've got here with the 10 lepers it actually meant a skin disorder that disfigured them and was life threatening so none of these guys uh, would have looked good and none of these guys were going to live for any length of time that's the way it was with them they were in trouble they were in a mess They were probably part of a larger community. Often the way of dealing with such things in in those days was that you had a community and you would push them outside to the edge of the village and that's where they lived so that it didn't affect you. And what happened at that point is that if you had leprosy and you were part of a family unit or a social unit, you were actually ripped out of that unit and taken to live here. And sometimes the only way that you could receive food or any act of kindness at all was often it was given to you, sometimes lowered down into the hole that you lived in, but suddenly physical contact was completely out in regard to if you had leprosy. You were rejected by family and friends. You were regarded as cursed. The religious sense of it was you were cursed. You were ritually unclean. It meant that you were marginalized. It meant that you were an outcast. And these guys come out to meet Jesus. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because what should happen is that Jesus should run. (laughs) He should now go. Because that's what the rest had done. I don't know what the disciples were doing behind him. I don't know. I have this sort of mad illustration that Jesus is walking towards these, these guys like this. I don't know whether you've ever you know, felt like this when you've done this. He's walking this way. The, leper, the lepers have come out like this. And Jesus has looked at these lepers, turned round. disciples have gone. I, I don't... So they sort of, with all those, you know, we want to volunteer one step forward and all the crowd steps one step backwards. You know, just like, I don't know whether that actually happened, uh, but you can sort of sense the the tension that would have been. Uh, certainly the crowd, if there were a crowd following Jesus, they would have been gone. There's 10 lepers on the move. It's like seeing what happened if we brought them in here this morning. I, I, as you can hear with the voice, I'm sounding a bit like Barry White. It's something that I've tried to perfect for the last fifty odd years, uh, and uh, I noticed things. Uh, I went to my mother-in-law's uh, on Friday night, and I, uh, I she can listen to this because it's the only time that I've ever been thrown out my mother-in-law's because she didn't want to catch one, and she's been very kind about it. She said, I think, Nigel, you ought to go. It was not about my kindness. It was about, I don't want to catch what you've got. And it was like, because we'd said, we'll come for dinner. And then we'll stay a little while. It was the quickest dinner that we've ever had in our lives. It was, eat the dinner, Callie, you wash up, get them out of the place. Here's the Christmas presents. We were, we were out of, I've never been such a short visit to my mother-in-law in all my life. She, I was the epitome of leprosy to my mother. I would gone, that sort of stuff. You're driving back thinking, this is the way to visit her next time. We're just, we're, this is the way to do it. I just change my voice and blow my nose. That's that's how to do short visits. Anyway, I'm in so much trouble. She hasn't got the internet. It's a good thing, <laughs> yet, yeah. Oh dear. But if you're listening, Mrs. Barbara Davis, it was true, wasn't it? <laughs> but I got a jigsaw out of it. She gave me a jigsaw. She, You know, why don't you settle down and do a jigsaw? (laughs) All the young guys are going jigsaw. So, anyway, where was I? Um, Jesus had previously healed people with leprosy. Maybe that was something that they uh, they knew, and uh, it was interesting that there there was known historical records and stories that would have floated through around those times. And one of the stories that floated around for a long, long time was the story of the king of Syria who sent his general, Naaman, uh, for healing to Israel. Uh, The prophet Isaiah intervenes, asks him to do something. Elijah, sorry, Elijah intervenes. And you have to correct that one in the notes there. And what happened is that he's healed. And that story would have been known, a historical story of healing. Now, did they come because they knew these things? We don't know. I'd like to just dismiss all those things a little bit, those ones. I'd just like to say this. I think when you're in a mess, when you're in trouble, when your life is threatened, you have to go and find someone that can help you. And if you were 10 lepers and Jesus was walking towards you, actually he is the only person that can, can help and actually he's the only person who had the power to help. So I just think it's simple as this. We're in a mess, guys. We need to go and find somebody that can help. The other side of that is that I find it really interesting because being the guy that leads churches, I actually find that I get loads of people that always contact me when they're in a mess. It's very rarely that you get somebody to turn up at your door and just knock on your door and sort of say, "Hello, Nigel. I'm here because I'm having a good time." <laughs> Is it all right if knock on your door, share with you about the good times? No, they've either got something that's in trouble or some sort of please. Talk. Uh, and you, you sort of you like listening. It's, it's, it's a wonder I'm not depressed. You know, with all this, and each time they because we're we're visiting, and we're in, we're in trouble. It's really interesting that the other side of that coin is that I've also noticed that when people are in trouble, when people are in a mess, and sometimes you help them out, whether that's practical or spiritual or any side's help, it's interesting that when they get their two, back on their two feet again, they're off. They've gone. And you think, hold on, where did they go? And it's really interesting that in life, people perceive Jesus as somebody that they can come to in times of trouble, in times of mess, and then once they've got themselves sorted out, they can go and do what they want. Now, what will Jesus do? What will Jesus do to these people who are in a mess? Well, these 10 lepers come walking towards him and it says they lifted up their voices so we're assuming that they were a distance away. (laughs) They weren't quite close to him. And they shout, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I think the response is absolutely startling in regard to these guys. Because the first thing is, how did they know Jesus by name? They lived in a, a leper colony. How did they know that he had some level of authority. They address him as master. They don't address him as, can he give us a, you know, help, mate? You know, they just have, they say, Jesus, master. And how did they know that he could have and would have mercy on them? What's clear here is the position that they take. They say, Jesus, master they put themselves as servants or slaves and when they ask for mercy mercy it denotes the fact that they are in a hopeless state and have no ability to save themselves we cannot save ourselves and jesus is the only one that can And that is the way that we come to know him when he is seeking us out. We have no ability to make ourselves into anything. We need his help to be able to do that. We read earlier in Luke chapter 19, for the son of man came to seek and what? Save the lost. The only one that can save us is Jesus. He's the only one that can do it. And Jesus tells them, he said, when he saw them, he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and they were cleansed. I think it's just an awesome understatement, that one, isn't it? Go and show yourselves to the priests, and they were cleansed. That's it then, just done. The reason for sending them to the priests is that the priests actually acted as healthcare consultants. I don't know whether you're aware of this. They weren't just priests, but they checked out everybody. So my job this morning, after the was coffee, is to just come and check you out, okay? Now, I'm not a priest, but that's made you worry a little bit. So that was what they did, and they did that on behalf of the community. So if James had turned up this morning... And uh, he'd got a mangy toe or something like that, and he's going to play the guitar as as the priest, as it were. I've said, you know, we're not sure about the mangy toe. Can't play the guitar because it might be infectious. I mean, I don't want the church to get infected. We don't want to all end up with mangy toes. So that would have been the priest. You're looking at me, thinking, is this true? Yes, it was. It's true, actually. But that's the way that they acted. They acted to protect people and families. So that's the one thing. The second thing was that they were there on, uh, from Jesus' thinking to confirm what would have been done. Because the priests up to this point had rejected Jesus. They had said, well, we don't think much to him and you know, that sort of stuff. We don't think he is the son of God. Well, can you imagine 10 lepers that would have been known to this priest turning up on your doorstep and saying, hey, what do you think of this then? This pro-aging stuff that we put on this, look, look at the way that's worked. This hasn't cost me 45 pounds for a little pot like this. I got this for free. It, it, it was an extraordinary thing. So the priests were put in a very um, compromising situation because the priests had to say, this is the Son of God because only the Son of God can heal in the way that, that he says he is. It's simple, guys. Jesus heals. The priests were just put into this different situation. So let's go back here. Why? What did Jesus do when people turn for help and are in trouble? What do people do? when, when What do you do when you're in a mess? Well, what, what will Jesus respond? The answer is whether you come to know him as your own personal saviour or not, Jesus, by the very fact of his nature, will have mercy on you. He will help you whether you follow him or not. Because Jesus is a person who extends mercy to those who are in trouble and in a mess. Here's the other thing. It is in his nature to heal. He heals people. So we can see that it's in his nature that he helps and that he heals. And today, I believe this. That God is going to help some people that are just going through a time of trouble. It's just trouble. We can define that however you want to know, but you will know that. You will think, "Do you know, at this point, life just seems to be troublesome. And I feel a little bit, just in a bit of a mess. It's just how life is. And Jesus is going to extend mercy to you this morning. He's just going to help you in your times of trouble. There's a wonderful psalm that describes God as doing that. God is also going to help some people because he loves to heal. He's going to heal some people just because he loves to extend his mercy and heal people who are sick. And at the end of the meeting, what we're going to do is that we're going to ask the musicians to come play our, our final song. I want to say this to you. Look, if you are going through some trouble, whether you actually come back in this building or not, or go into any other building, any other religious building, if you like. Mind you, this is not religious, is it really? It doesn't really matter. Jesus would want to come and extend mercy to you. And if you, are, if you are sick this morning, Jesus would want to come and extend mercy to you. So will we ask the musicians to come forward at the end of the meeting, I'm going to ask you, would you respond to that? Would you come forward? We'd love to pray for you, and Jesus would love to extend mercy to you. But the story takes a strange twist. In verse 15 it says then one of them when he saw that he had he was healed which is really interesting isn't it one of them when he saw that he was healed did he not notice you know at one moment when I mean, he's leprosy might have lost fingers arms legs or ears you know that sort of stuff and it just sort of said and he noticed he was healed I, well perhaps you don't think that's as funny You just look well Well, you read it for yourself. I just thought it was really funny. He didn't notice that he'd been healed. Okay, all right. Well, you did think it was funny. Oh, good. Rupert's just looking (laughs) at You know how much time I spent on this? (laughs) Well, anyway, he noticed that he was healed. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not the ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go away, your faith has made you well. There is one cured leper that behaves differently to the other nine. And as far as we know, well, we do know that these nine uh, were restored, they were healed, they, were, they experienced the mercy of God. But as far as we know, they would never cross Jesus' path again. And one realises that this man, this, this person that we've been singing about, these people that people have gathered here to worship, this man is, is more than a helper, more than a healer. That's what he saw. He saw that this was the Son of God. He saw this was the man who came to die. This was the man who was the coming Messiah. All of those things. And he said, and when he saw that he was healed, when he saw that this was something more than just a healing, he turned back. Maybe you are one amongst ten. Maybe even today you've thought there is something in those songs that they've sung. There's something in those prayers that they've prayed. There's even something in what the preacher has said. Maybe you are that one in ten. Maybe you can see that there is more to Jesus than just healer and helper. What this one cured leper does will help you. He praises God with a loud voice. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet and he gives him thanks. The giving thanks and the praising God, we can understand, can't we? He was healed. But there's more than that. He fell on his feet. Fell on his face at Jesus' feet. In that culture, to do that sort of thing was extraordinary. You have to catch a moment here to see what is going on. It was unusual for somebody to do this. Because what he was doing was an act of submission, it was acknowledging another one's authority, it was signifying reverence, it was saying, I see who you are, and I submit to you. I fall. At your feet. You are not just helper. You are not just helper. You are the Son of God, the Saviour. And today, amongst ten, well, nine will receive mercy, and nine will receive healing. But there's one who will see Jesus who he is. There's a story I want to introduce you to this guy. A guy called John Newton. He didn't look like that. At, uh, that's a, a picture of him in old age. From an etching. But I want you to imagine that he was a very young guy. Uh, he was up for making as much money as he could. And uh, he was on board uh, a slave trader ship. When the storm, a storm hit it. And when a storm hits you on a boat, you're in trouble. And this was not an old guy in trouble. This is him in his old age. Loved the wig. And this was a young guy. This was a guy who had achievements, physical achievements. He had everything going for him. And this is from uh, a book telling us a little bit of the story that happened to him when a storm hit him on board a slave ship. It says he awoke in the night to a violent storm as his room began to fill with water. As he ran for the deck, the captain stopped him and had him fetch a knife. I don't quite know what the knife was for, but he had him fetch one. The man who went up in his place, as he got stopped, was immediately washed overboard. That's what the Bible calls providence. He was assigned to a pump and he heard himself say, if this will not do, the Lord have mercy upon us. It was the first time that he had ever expressed a need for mercy or spoken To a god. He worked the pumps from three in the morning until noon. He slept for an hour and then he took the helm and he steered the ship until midnight. At the wheel, he had time to think back over his life and his spiritual condition. About six o'clock the next evening, it seemed though there might be small hope. I thought, I can see the hand of God displayed in favour. I began to pray for the first time. I could not utter a prayer of faith. I could not draw near to a reconciled God and call him Father. The comfortless principles of infidelity were deeply riveted. So I thought, if I can't pray, how will I obtain faith to pray? So he went and found a Bible, and he opened it at Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It just went like that, which promises the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And he reasoned, "If the book is true, the promise in the passage must be true likewise. I have a need of that spirit by which the whole was written in order to understand it aright. He engaged here to give that spirit to those who ask. Therefore, I must pray for it. And if it be God, he will make it good on his own accord. And God did. He spent the rest of the voyage, it says, in deep seriousness. As he read and prayed over the Bible. On April the 8th, they anchored in Ireland and the next day, the storm at sea was so violent that they, could, they would surely have been sunk. Newton described what God had done in those two weeks. He said, Thus far, I was answered that before we arrived in Ireland, I had satisfactory evidence in my own mind of the truth of the gospel, as considered in itself and of its exact suitableness to answer all my needs. I stood in need of an almighty Saviour, and such a one I found described to me in the New Testament. Thus far, the Lord has wrought a marvellous thing. I was no longer an infidel. My heart renounced the former profaneness and had taken up some right notions, was seriously disposed and sincerely touched by undeserved mercy I had received in being brought safe through many dangers. I was so sorry for my past, for my misspent life and purposed an immediate reformation. I was freed from the habit of swearing, which is only done in rugby scrums, which seemed to have a deeply deep it seemed to be deeply rooted in me as a second nature thus to all appearance to every man i was now a new man john newton actually cried out in trouble i'm not sure at the point that he cried out it wasn't just a cry for mercy I want to stay alive. And in crying out for mercy, he found the reality of the Son of God, who not only saved him from the storm, but saved him from his sin and brought him eternal life. There was one leper who not just cried out for mercy and received mercy and was healed, but but also received the free gift of eternal life. I want to ask the musicians whether you'd come forward. I've got a last slide before we do a song. I don't know how you've come in this morning. I don't know, some of you. But I just want to say this to you. And it's genuine that we, have, we would love to pray with you this morning. And uh, we'd like to pray for three categories of people. If you are just struggling this morning uh, with some level of what might be descri- described as trouble, we'd just love to pray for you that you might know God's mercy in trouble, that you might know God's help in trouble. If you are sick and uh, have, have come this morning, uh, sick, um, I, we would love to pray for you, and of course, if you are wanting to know Jesus as as not just helper, but and not just healer, but as the Son of God who died for you in your place to save you and to bring him into bring you into His kingdom, we would love to pray for you as well. So we've got three categories. The way that we would like to do this is that if you are in any of those categories, uh, when we stand to sing, we'd like you to just come forward. The only thing you have to be careful for is don't block the thing, okay? Because last week we had somebody come forward and they stood like this and we all tried to sing and we made a mess of it. Because we didn't know what we were singing. So if you are in any of those three categories, uh, when, uh, when when the music starts... You can come forward.